suffers violence and the violent suffer by, uh, take it by force. That's what she's talking about. That, that violence is not people that are crazy. That's people who are passionately aggressive, who are pushing into God to take hold of all of God's got for them. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but around the world at the moment, there's a real push into God because the world has been shaken. You know, things have happened, and uh, as we were sharing last night, there's a lot of crazy things been going on, and it's caused a lot of the church to really go, we need God. We've been doing church for too long, just kind of in autopilot, and we need to step it up. We need to push in. We need a miracle breakthrough. We need a revival. And because the church is pushing, on, pushing in, heaven is opening up. And it's very encouraging, it's very exciting to see what is beginning to happen. It's like the dam that has been pent up with the prayers of the saints through the years for a move of God is about to burst. And, and in fact, there's prophetic words about dams bursting and all sorts of things at the moment. And it's so exciting. And even in Australia at the moment, you might be aware in Melbourne, there's a, there's a revival breaking loose down there in Numa Church, which was Richmond Temple, which was a church that was planted back in the day uh, when the first revival, and it's called the Sunshine Revival, that was the revival that basically birthed uh, Pentecostalism in Australia. That and uh, what is now Hope Center was Glad Tidings, which was birthed in a tent revival. Those two churches came into covenant, and that birthed the ACC. And, and so we've got a heritage that began in revival and tent outreaches and all this kind of exciting thing. And so now it's breaking loose, and it's starting to spill and, and stir the hearts of many people in many churches. And uh, we are in a Kairos moment. If you understand what a Kairos moment is, it's an appointed time. It's like, it's, it's a time when you must grasp what is, what is going on. You can't just go, oh, whatever, business as usual. It's, it's a time where you, you stop, you lean in, you, you press in, and you take hold. It's a, a window of opportunity. Uh, and, and, and Webster's Dictionary says that uh, a window of, of opportunity is a set of circumstances providing a chance or a possibility, a stroke of good fortune which presents itself and can be either grasped or lost. And, and this is not a stroke of good fortune. This is a divinely appointed moment, right? But we must grasp this moment and, and press into God to take hold of it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17 says, Be very careful how you live, making the most of every opportunity, understanding that uh, what the Lord's will is. And it's been said that the opportunity of a lifetime must be grasped within the lifetime of the opportunity. I don't know about you, but I am tired of doing business as usual in church. I am tired of church without the visitation of the presence of God. It's so different. I mean, my ministry was birthed in revival. And, uh, you know, I was saved during a season of revival in New Zealand. And it's like, I can't live without revival. Church is boring to me without revival. So, I mean, we carry it wherever we go pretty much. But, but it's a season where things are opening up a lot more. And, and the heavens is opening up and God is beginning to move in a mighty way. And uh, I want to share with you um, a couple of prophecies over Australia. And then I'm going to preach about the miraculous today because I really believe this revival contains a lot of that. And the first thing is, 
Um, this is, uh, you probably heard of Smith Wigglesworth. I'm going to talk about him a little bit today. But he was a great evangelist early last century. They called him the Apostle of Faith. Phenomenal miracles and dead raisings and everything. But this is what he prophesied. Australia, you have been chosen by God for a great move of the Holy Spirit. This move of God will be the greatest move of God ever known in mankind's history. And it will start towards the end of the 20th century. And I believe we had an appetizer. And it will, and it will move into the 21st century. This move of God will start a great revival in Australia and spread throughout the whole world and usher in the second coming of Jesus. This will be the final revival before the coming of the Lord. That's pretty exciting. But listen to this detail that he gave when he shared the vision to Lester Summerall. He said, I see the last day revival. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. I see hospitals being emptied out. They will bring the sick to the churches where they will allow the Holy Spirit to move. I see every form of disease healed. Nobody will be able to count those who come to Jesus. No disease will be able to stand before God's people. It will be a worldwide thrust of God's power and God's anointing upon mankind. Pretty exciting, eh? That's what season I believe we are stepping into right now. And, and, it's a, and it's something that we grasp, but something we push into. It's something we're not passive about, but it's something that we aggressively lay hold of. And so I encourage you, God wants to do something amazing in these days. And He's going to show up. He's going to show off. He's going to show Himself to be real. You're not going to be able to deny that God has not been in church. It's going to be like every Sunday you're going to encounter God. It's going to spill out of the church into the community, and it's going to be amazing. Are you excited about that? I think it's very, very exciting. So I want to talk to you about miracles because ever since I was a boy, I believed that God was a God of miracles. See, I grew up in a house where my mum had had a radical encounter with God, and she'd got filled with the Holy Spirit, and she'd gone to a Pentecostal church, and she was hungry for the Lord. And so she had this old lady come to our house who, who, who was a healing ministry, and they did healing meetings in our house. And so there as a boy, I, I saw miracles and heard testimonies of miracles. Not only that, my mum began to partner with T.L. Osborne and Oral Roberts. These were great healing evangelists back in the sort of 70s, 80s, and, and um, 60s. Okay, 60s, 70s. And uh, yeah. But um, so the end, towards the end of their ministries. And uh, so these magazines used to be at the house, right? So I'd pick up the magazines and I'd look at the pictures of, of uh, you know, the first the preachers preaching to these huge crowds of people. And then there was the people on the platform giving testimony of the miracles, blind seeing, deaf hearing, crippled, lame walking, lepers cleansed, all that. Turn over the page, see a big picture of braces and crutches and things, a pile, you know, uh, things that people needed to get to the meetings, but they didn't need when they left the meeting because they were healed by the power of God. So this is all the stuff I was getting fed when I was a little boy. And so, you know, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 16 and, and got on fire for God. And then when evangelists came to our church, I'm always paying attention to what they're saying. If they had books and CDs back or tapes or whatever it was back in the day, I'd get them and, and keep filling my spirit. 
And one evangelist, some of you might know from Australia, came. His name was Stuart Grimens. And he had a book, How to Heal the Sick. So I bought the book, and I read it, and I thought, all right, I'll give it a go. So I started to pray for the sick. And guess what? They got healed. It was exciting. I mean, first of all, it was just minor things like headache, sprained elbow, you know, sore throat, things like that. But God healed them when I prayed for them. And it was like, wow, this is exciting. And then one day I was in a house where I was sharing this house with some guys. And I was in my bedroom downstairs. One of the guys upstairs, his girlfriend had come to visit. Suddenly he comes running into my room while I'm playing away on my drum kit. And he says, Carl, Carl, Lisa has got one leg shorter than the other. Come upstairs and do your stuff. I thought, it's not my stuff, it's God's stuff, but I'll come and pray. This is pretty exciting. So I went upstairs and we sat this girl, Lisa, down on the chair and I said, and laid, stretched her leg out. And sure enough, one was shorter than the other. So I said, come on, let's all lay our hands on her and pray. So we all laid our hands on her and we prayed. And right in front of our eyes, we watched her leg grow out. And I tell you, that ignited something in me. And I got so excited. It was like, come on, let's go to the hospital, pray for some sick people. Let's go to the morgue and raise someone from the dead. It's, it's just, it ignited something. I moved to Australia a little bit after that. And when I got to Australia, I started to get a, a reputation because if someone came up to me and said, hi, Carl, how are you? I'd say, fine, thanks, how are you? They would say, oh, I've got a headache, I've got a sore stomach, or sprain this or whatever. I'd say, well, do you want it? Because as far as I was concerned, if you didn't want it, all I needed to do was lay my hands on you and pray, and God would heal you. And, and so I was heal seeing these healings amongst my friends and associates. And, and uh, as I got to Australia, and then God began to open up doors for me to travel with missions teams. He's been on a missions team. If you've never been on a missions team, I encourage you because it'll change your life. And so I went on a, on a few missions teams with teams from the church. Back in the day, I wasn't the preacher. Back in the day, I was playing the guitar or I was, I was uh, singing a song or I was in the drama or sharing a testimony or something. But, but um, the times came, you know, where we, we had these altar calls and all these people came out for prayer and all of us in the team came down and we're all laying hands on people and praying and miracles are happening right in front of us and we're getting more excited about it than the people we're praying for because, you know, after all, we're supposed to be God's men and women of power because we've come from overseas. And it's like that. It's like a big shot is just a small shot in another country sometimes. And, but, you know, I'd come back from overseas and I'd come back to my home church. And, you know, there's some people that knew I prayed for the sick, but there's others that just thought I was one of the other young guys in the church. And, and I see that someone's sick and I'd come to them and say, hey, can I pray for you? And they say, oh, no, I'll be all right. Don't worry. And I'm like, no, let me pray for you. Jesus wants to heal you. And they're like, oh, all right, then go and pray if you want to. <laughs> but they're not expecting anything to happen because I was just one of the other young people in the church, you know. They kind of didn't expect that from people in the church. Uh, but that's, that's, Jesus had that same problem. The Bible tells us that Jesus went all throughout the country praying for the sick, even raising the dead. But when he came to his own hometown, the people said, who does he think he is? He's just the carpenter's son. His brothers and sisters are here amongst us. And the scripture says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. See, unbelief is the enemy of our faith. 
unbelief will snatch out of your hands the miracles and the blessings that God Himself has put in your hands. And I find it amazing that unbelief even stopped Jesus from performing miracles. Now, this is what I've discovered. Before people become a Christian, you may not believe in miracles. But if you get saved and you go to a church that believes in the miraculous, preaches the Word of God and puts it into practice, you are going to start to believe in miracles. You're going to see a healing happen. You're going to see some healing. You might be involved. Someone prays for you. You get a healing. And as you grow in your faith, you are also going to grow. Sorry, as you grow in your walk with God, you'll grow in your faith for the miraculous. Amen. But I've also discovered that it only seems to take one or two unanswered prayers. And some people start to struggle with their faith. You know, they, they first of all, they think that, oh, there's something wrong with me. Didn't God hear my prayer? Doesn't God want to hear my prayers? Is there something wrong with God? I mean, isn't God moving today? And they have all these kind of thoughts. And then they, they decide to, to settle in a theology that God doesn't heal today. You know, he must have kind of gone to sleep in that department. And, uh, and then they just sit in churches calling themselves believers, but they're really unbelievers. They're unbelieving believers. And the problem with an unbelieving believer is they don't believe they don't believe. And a secret, I'm going to share this but just between you and me, but because I've preached all over the world, and sometimes the hardest place to see miracles happen is in churches. Because they got so ingrained in a culture of unbelief because they have not been stepping out in faith in those areas and believing God to break through in those areas. And they've got into a rut of unbelief and it's almost like you are, you are smashing up against a wall preaching in some of those churches. It's really sad. But see, we, we find in Scripture, there's a time there where King Herod captured James, the leader of the church, put James in prison and then chopped off his head. A little bit discouraging for the church when your senior pastor gets his head chopped off, right? But it pleased the Jews. So Herod then captured Peter, another leader of the church, put Peter in prison with the same intention of chopping his head off. So the church gathered together to pray. And the Bible says they prayed fervently for Peter's release from prison. What happens? The fervent effectual prayer of a righteous person availeth much, right? So they are praying fervently. And guess what happens? An angel appears in the prison, gives Peter a nudge, and his chains just fall on the ground. And he's like, whoa. And the angel says, come on, Peter, we're out of here. So Peter's like, all right, follows the angel, gets to the door. That door opens up all by itself. The guards are standing there looking like dodos. They're looking straight through them. They can't see a thing. So they just walk straight through the door, out to the main gate of the prison, opens up. Walk straight past those guards. They don't see a thing out onto the street. They're walking down the street. And then suddenly, phew, the angel disappears. And then Peter is like, hang on a minute. I'm not dreaming this. I'm actually outside the prison. Supernatural deliverance. And so he goes to the house where the Christians are praying. And he knocks on the door. Servant girl comes to answer the door. And she has a little look through the peak hole to see who's at the door. And when she sees that it's Peter, she got so excited, she actually forgot to open the door. 
So she ran back into where the Christians are praying, and she jumps into the middle of their prayer circle and says, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. And they look at her like she's been smoking something. It's like, what do you mean Peter's at the door? Peter's in prison. You're mad. You're crazy. What were they praying for? Peter's released from prison. What happened? Peter was released from prison, and they didn't even believe it. See, it's one thing to think you believe, but it's another thing to believe and expect things to happen when you pray. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you four quick keys to expecting things to happen when you pray, and then we're going to pray and things are going to happen. Is that a good deal? All right. Great. So the first thing is this. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. You know, the Bible talks about the devil as being the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses us before God day and night. But also somehow, it's like he sits on our shoulder and speaks into our ear and says, who do you think you are? I mean, look what you've done. Look where you've come from. Look at your background. God ain't going to listen to you. He's not going to use you. And we feel all down on ourselves and we feel all disqualified. And If anyone should think like that, I would imagine it would be the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15. You see, if you understand the whole culture back in the day, the Jews and the Canaanite people hated each other. And uh, there was Jesus having a dinner party with his disciples. And a Canaanite woman turns up to the dinner party. She starts crying out to Jesus. The disciples are basically, yeah, Jesus, get rid of her, Canaanite woman. And Jesus responded culturally. He said, woman, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. Goodbye. And she could have given up, but she didn't. She says, but Lord, my daughter's demon possessed. You've got to help me. And Jesus then says, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. Wow. Can you understand this? Here's a woman come to Jesus himself. Who better could you go to? And what does Jesus say to the woman? Get out of here, you dog. It's going to make you feel like you're disqualified. It's going to make you feel like these miracles are not for me. But she still didn't give up. And the Bible says she got down on her knees right in front of Jesus. She got in the face of God and she said, Yes, Lord, but even the, the dogs eat the crumbs from under the master's table. And Jesus said, Wow, woman you got great faith. And her miracle was given to her. See, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter about your culture, your past, all this stuff. It just matters if you come to God through a relationship in Jesus Christ and reach out through Christ to God, you can take hold of the children's bread. Especially when you do that with passionate aggression. When you do that with a fervency, not with a ho-hum whatever. Amen. You push in, you're going to take hold of the blessings that God has got for you. So you don't need to go to some kind of a, a superstar, right? You see, we have this thing. Don't, this is number two. Don't look to the contents. Sorry, look to the contents, not the container. Because we have this habit of looking to containers. You know, we think that we kind of live this mediocre Christian life and there's these superstars that come around and all you've got to do is go and get a superstar to lay hands on you and you get everything fixed up. You know, who's done this? You've gone from 
from to, to a meeting. Maybe it's an evangelist there or a prophet or whatever, but it's a big combined meeting, lots of churches together. And, and uh, you know, that person's preaching away. They have an altar call and like heaps of people come out on the altar call and you've come out on that altar call because you want that person to lay hands on you, right? But because there's so many people come out for prayer, the pastors of the local churches, they come also and they start laying hands on people and praying. And one of your pastors comes and he lays hands on you and prays for you. And what do you think? Oh, ripped off, man. It's like, he could pray for me some other time, but I wanted that guy to pray for me. Who's done that? Come on, be honest. Yeah, we have, eh? Or you go from meeting to meeting, waiting for a word of knowledge about your situation, describing it down to the minute detail, including the color pajamas you wore to bed last night and what you had for breakfast. And then you're kind of like, okay, that's me. And you come out for prayer. But what is this doing? This is putting our faith in a man or it's putting our faith in a man's gift rather than simply putting our faith in the Word of God. Imagine if Jesus came to Toowoomba and he had a healing revival. I hear there's a few things going on in Toowoomba at the moment, actually. But uh, imagine if God came, Jesus came. Jesus heals Toowoomba 2022. How many of you would go to that, that healing revival? Come on, you would, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd drop everything to go to hear Jesus preach. And uh, if he was having an altar call, he was praying for the sick, how many of you would go out on that altar call? Come on. I would, even if I wasn't sick. I'd go stub my toe or bang my knee into the wall or something so I could limp out there and get Jesus to pray. I'd go and get Jesus to pray for me if I had a pimple. You know what I mean? It's like, just get Jesus lay his hands on me. But you know, Jesus did not do the miracles that he did simply through the power of being the Son of God. What do I mean by that? The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that when Jesus came to this earth, he emptied himself of his divine power. Hebrews chapter 2 says he was just like his brothers or just like you and I in every way. In other words, when Jesus was growing up, he had no more power than you or me. But then in Luke chapter 3 and 4, we see that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended and came upon him. And then the scripture says the Holy Spirit filled him. Then it says he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, where he fasted 40 days and he was tempted by the devil. He overcame the devil with the word of God. But then the scripture says Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Then he went into the synagogue and he, and he pulled out and read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he declared, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up broken hearts, to set the captives free, to open blind eyes, etc. And everything that Jesus did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just because he was Jesus. It was because he was Jesus and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And so then Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, he said, anyone who has faith in me, give me a wave if you have faith in Jesus. Good. Anyone who has faith in me, the works that I do, shall you do also. Now we could just go, wow, right there. But he didn't stop right there. He went on to say, 
and greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. Wow. Why did he tag that on? Because I go to the Father. What did Jesus do when he went to the Father? He sent the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Now, being my witnesses doesn't just be, mean you're being nice people. It means you are full of power. It means that you, are, you pray for people, they get healed. It means that you have words of knowledge and words of wisdom, that you are having a, a massive impact on the people in the community around about you, and you boldly testify of your faith. That's what it's all about, the Holy Spirit. We're Pentecostal, aren't we? And, uh, you know, we're Christian. Amen. And, uh, you know, so that's what it's all about. It's for each one of us. So you don't have to go to a superstar to get them to lay hands on you and pray. Just if you're sick, you can get someone who's full of the Holy Spirit, has faith, lay hands on you and pray. Or if you're full of the Holy Spirit and have faith yourself, pray for yourself. Be healed in Jesus' name. Just stand in front of your bed when you do that, just in case you're slain or something. Amen. Listen, we, we need to expect miracles. We need to be expectant because if you look in Scripture, the Bible gives many accounts of Jesus healing the miraculous and uh, healing the sick. And every single time, every single one was healed. Sometimes it was large groups. Sometimes it was individuals. Sometimes it was laying hands on people. Sometimes it was just speaking the word. And he spoke the word and they got healed. I love this, you know, because we do these crusades in Africa. I was talking about last night. We just came back from Africa a couple of months ago. Last year, I, I directed six crusades and I trained some evangelists. We, we were there for, I was there. Fee didn't come that time. But uh, I was there for three months. We had 75 plus thousand salvations. But then we were there for just six weeks this year, 82,000 salvations. It's just a huge harvest field over there. But i got to tell you, it's so exciting, you know, just, just to see miracles happening. But I had a lady in my team from New Zealand. And this lady, I, I have an area roped off in front of the stage and, and get the team out there, stretching their hands out over the crowd as I am declaring healings from the platform. And, and I'm shouting out, you know, eyes be healed this and that and then suddenly I said Crohn's disease be healed and it kind of almost came out automatically it must have been from the Lord or something because then I like this lady who was down the front here had Crohn's disease she'd had it her whole life she was on medication up to six times a day she couldn't eat lots of different foods otherwise she'd have all sorts of reactions and everything and when I shouted out Crohn's disease be healed she turned around and looked at me with this big smile on her face, and I'm like, yeah. And, and she got instantly and totally healed of Crohn's disease. She went straight off her medication. She started eating all this food over there in Africa, which I was struggling to eat, you know, and my tummy's good. But then she went back to New Zealand. She went back to her doctor, and the doctor said, we cannot find a trace of Crohn's disease in your body. That's pretty awesome. Amen. And so, you know, we, we need to be expectant. Of miracles, and I am expectant of miracles. You know, um, as an evangelist, I pray for a lot of people, so a lot of healings happen. 
I'll be honest with you, not every single person you pray for gets healed immediately. A lot of them I go back to places and I hear testimonies when I come back. Sometimes the testimonies when I come back are more amazing than the testimonies that happen there. Like I remember just going back to my home church in New Zealand and a little boy who was eight years old, his name was Logan, came running up to me and he said, you healed me. And I'm like, don't even remember him, you know. And I said, uh, his mum came up and I said, what happened? And she said, she told the story that he had holes in his lungs and he had bad asthma and he couldn't walk 100 meters without collapsing on the ground and gasping for air. He also had dairy allergies, so he couldn't eat or drink dairy foods. And if you live in New Zealand, that means you can't eat half of the diet. And, uh, and he was deaf in one ear. And I'd prayed for him, not thought any more about it. And then the next year I come back, everything healed. He's running races. He's doing pretty good. He's eating ice cream like every good Kiwi boy should. Oh, it's, it's just awesome. Hearing, his hearing was completely healed. And that's just wonderful. And, and uh, you know, not every single person gets healed. And some, we just don't know why. But it doesn't stop me believing. It doesn't stop me praying. And, and we keep on going, you know. And, and it's just so wonderful to see what God does. And so I want to encourage you, do not abort a breakthrough. You know, modern society breeds impatience. We want everything instantly. We want everything now. We want fast foods, you know, quick meals. I remember McDonald's a few years ago had a, um, a special deal. Do you remember this? It was, if you didn't get your burger in one minute, they gave it to you for free. Do you remember that one? I remember that very well because I was one of those kind of young guys at the time that, great, two burgers for the price of one here. So I'd pray when I was there. I'd order and pray that something would go wrong in the kitchen or whatever. And, you know. But what were they doing? They were teaching us to be impatient. I remember going back to Macca's sometime after that. And my friends ordered. We'd gone after church or something. And they had sat down and, and, and I ordered a McFeast. And the guy looked over the counter at me in fear and trepidation. And it was, it was like, whoa, your burger will be a minute and a half. Is that all right? Like I was going to have road rage or something because my burger was going to be a minute and a half. Modern society. It's madness. But you got these people. They go from McDonald's to McChurch. And they come to church, and if their prayers aren't answered immediately, then they throw in the towel, and they, they start whinging and complaining, and they think, forget this church, I'm off to the church down the road. And I mean, you might be here because, you know, but, no. Nah. You know, but we, we think that God's Father Christmas, that we can just flick our fingers, and He's supposed to do what we expect Him to do when we expect Him to do it. The Bible says in Mark 16, verse 16 to 18, You shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Okay, now that recovery may happen instantly. I love it when it happens instantly. right? I, I was praying for a, a lady in Harvey Bay. I think I shared this last night. She had a, a bulge. No, I didn't the other day. This bulge on the back of her neck. And uh, because she'd, had a, she'd actually jumped in front of a truck and... Um, had her smashed up by this truck and her her neck was I don't know busted up and she couldn't move it she was in a lot of pain had a bump there I laid my hands on this bump 
and it just went under my hand. I was like, whoa, did you feel that? And she's like, yes, I felt that, and I can move my neck, and I got no pain. And she said, but not only that, I also had my leg smashed up. It's one leg shorter than the other. While you were praying, and, and I had lower back pain, but while you were praying, I felt my leg growing out, and my lower back pain disappeared. And I thought that was pretty cool until I shared the story in that church just uh, last year. This year? Last year? Last year? This year. Early this year. And, and, uh, and they said, yeah, that, that person, um, and they told me more of the story because she'd also had brain damage from the accident. And when I'd prayed for her, she was healed of her brain damage. I thought, wow, hey, that's pretty cool. And so I love those kind of healings that happen instantly. And I always go for an instant healing. And even if it doesn't happen instantly, instantly, I might lay hands on someone again and again. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But, you know, uh, sometimes it's a pray for somebody. Like there was a girl in Yapoon in a church who was, had a growth in her eye. So her vision was blurry. Didn't seem like anything had happened immediately. But I'm good with that. I'm like, God, you're at work. Went to lunch with the pastor. While we're at lunch, the girl's mother rings the pastor. About an hour later, she's healed. Cool, eh? In New Zealand, I prayed for a man with growths all down the side of his body. And when I came back the following year, I heard that this man woke up the next morning and they were all gone. Awesome. So that kind of thing happens. And uh, go for the miraculous, but believe God. Because sometimes we've got to understand how God is working. There's sometimes things He's dealing with. There was a story in, in uh, Mark chapter 11 where Jesus is walking into Jerusalem with the disciples and He goes past a fig tree on the road. And He says, oh, I feel like a fig right now. But He goes over to the fig tree. He didn't look like a fig. He felt like one. He went over to the fig tree and He said, He looked on the fig tree and there was no figs. That figures bad jokes. But anyway, I know Wazza would love these jokes. Hey uh, Wazza, you love these jokes. And, and he says, um, rotten fig tree, nobody's going to eat from you again. So off he goes into Jerusalem. Next day, I mean the poor fig tree, it wasn't even the season for figs. That's a whole other story right there. But anyway, goes into the Jerusalem, comes back the next day and the disciple looks at the, at the fig tree and he says, hey Jesus, look, that fig tree that you cursed, it's withered from the roots up. From the roots up. Very important to understand because some of our physical problems have got spiritual roots. They may be emotional roots. It may be an entangled, entangled kind of thing going on there. But we've got to understand that there are sometimes roots that need to be pulled out or dug out. For example, a man came into a meeting who had arthritis in his body, all over his body, and there was a word of knowledge that he needed to forgive somebody. He burst into tears, he repented, forgave a person, and arthritis left his body without anybody even laying hands on him. So he had a root of bitterness. It gave legal right to a spirit of infirmity. I went and visited a lady in hospital who had nearly died from septicemia, a poison infection. And I said to her, you know, there's a bigger picture, don't you? She said, yes, I know. I need to forgive some people. I said, good, let's pray. And so she prayed. And she prayed like this. God, I'm sorry. I hated this person. I hated that person. I hated this. And I'm sitting there going, flipping heck. I mean, I knew those people. and They were nice people. And I'm like, what the heck? No wonder she had poison in her body. 
She had poison in her spirit. You can understand that. And so sometimes God wants to re- expose and, and, and release us from these issues that just make give fertile soil to stuff going on. Now listen, we live in a fallen world, a busted up world, fractured. But because of that, bad stuff happens. Bad stuff happens to good people as well as bad people. And, and we've grown up and stuff happens to us when we're growing up. You know, people hurt people. And if you haven't been hurt by somebody, I'd be surprised. If you have, welcome to the human race. People get hurt. Some people get hurt really bad. And, and I understand that and I'm not brushing over that. Some people's hurt messes them up for the rest of their lives. But we can carry that hurt or we can give that hurt to Jesus. We can have Jesus heal that hurt and set us free. You know, this whole kind of forgiving people, it's interesting because the Lord's Prayer, eh? Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiving those who sin against us is very, very important. Because Jesus actually goes on to say, because if we don't forgive those who sin against us, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you of your sins. It's like, that's pretty heavy. That means like people sitting in churches kind of thinking it's all good, but it ain't all good because they're hanging on to unforgiveness towards somebody else. And, And really what that's doing is it's robbing them of the blessings that God has for their lives. And so... We allow that grace that we have received to move in us and move through us and to be forgiving. Look, it doesn't mean we're going to feel it. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard to, to forgive somebody who's hurt you. And, and, you know, we might think they just deserve to be rotting in hell. And, but that's not the point. The point is whether or not you want to be free. And, and so when we forgive we, we put them in the Lord's hands. We let Him deal with them. And we get ourselves free of that. We get ourselves untangled from all of these, these roots of bitterness and unforgiveness and things like that. And it just sets us up to receive all that God has for our lives. Amen. You know, and sometimes, as I said, it's, it's a matter of more than praying more than once. I, I don't sort of pray once and if I haven't seen anything, just give up and go, oh, too bad. No, sometimes I'll keep praying in the moment over and over and I'll say, how's that, how's that, how's that? And sometimes it's like there's an improvement and it got, and sometimes it's completely healed after two or three prayers. I, was, I learned this when I was in New Zealand. I was in prison, um, not because I was a bad boy, but because my brother was a prison chaplain and he had invited me to come and preach. I was young. I was in my early 20s, but I was full of faith, and I went into the prison. I said to the prisoners, does anyone here need a miracle? A bunch of guys put their hands up. I said, good, today you're going to get your miracle. Pretty bold. I preached. I had an altar call. People came out for prayer, and there was this one big tough guy, and he had ripped his shoulder out, and he was in lots of pain. I laid my hands on him. I prayed. I said, so how's that? And he goes, it's still sore. I turned to my brother. I said, oh, flipping heck, he's still sore. <laughs> my brother said, that's all right. Remember, Jesus laid hands on a blind man. And, uh, and the blind man says, well, he said, how's that? You know, and the blind man says, well, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. It was still a bit blurry. 
So Jesus laid his hands back on him a second time. So we're like, okay, I laid my hands back on this guy a second time. And after doing that, standing right in front of me, he starts swinging punches at me, like swinging his fists around, just about punched me in the nose, and then turned and ran out of the room. I thought, what a fruitcake. <laughs> I was praying for some other people. And then moments later, maybe five, ten minutes later, he came back into the room puffing away. I said, where have you been? He said, I've been next door in the gym lifting weights. My shoulder's great. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I prayed for a man in England who had an incurable disease in his eye and he, the pupil of his eye wouldn't dilate. And so, and it was a rare incurable disease. So they had a hundred medical university students examine his eye. So I prayed for it. I said, how's that? And he goes, I think it's getting better. So I kind of leaped on him. It's like, this is awesome. I kept praying. And next minute he's reading a Bible with an eye that people said was incurable. And he's looking at the numbers at the clock at the back of the room with an eye people said was incurable. I thought, when Jesus comes along, nothing's incurable. Amen. But we just keep on believing and keep on trusting the Lord until we see His promise come to pass. Amen. Mm -hmm.